Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Real spoilers powered by ReviewSTL.com. Warning: The following film discussion will ruin the ending of any movie you haven't seen. Example, Bruce Willis is dead at the end of The Sixth Sense. See how I ruined it for you? Just like that. Here are a few more. Silent Breed is people! I am your father. Get it? Real spoilers. You've been warned. Broadcasting from the Lush But Not Lavish studios located in the basement of the O'Keefe Institute for Advanced Film Snarkitude. This is Real Spoilers, episode 592. The Dirty Dozen, Next Mission. Oh. oh, just next mission. They couldn't even afford the? Right. Yes. No the, just next mission. <laughs> I made a point to say that properly. This is for TV. It's like a newspaper uh, word, words, right? right? Like <laughs> character counts? You know, it might have been. You know, it might have been like cause the, the, the TV, TV guy. Yeah. They, they'd publish that. You know, you have limited space. That could have factored into their their thought process so before we dig in uh let's go around the virtual table and everyone can introduce themselves this is paul this is kevin and this is tom yeah paul is back because it's like if you're going to get to watch the good one you got to sit through the lousy one too Those we should have just had him on for the dirty dozen the next mission right that's that's how you know when, <laughs> we, when we really don't like you if we just invite you on for just the made for tv sequel that's <laughs> Our little passive aggressive. I'm out. Yeah, <laughs> we would. Ne- yeah, we would never do that to Paul. Though. So, uh, quick shameless plugs. Don't forget, we're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us. Uh, be sure and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Check us out on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash/RealSpoilers. While you're there, like the page, join the group, and of course, our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/RealSpoilers. Where for five bucks a month, you get all sorts of bonus content, and you help out, and we appreciate it. So. Uh, there we go. So, Dirty Dozen, the next mission, war as hell, and uh, you can really tell by just how much they've aged in what has to be three weeks. <sighs> um, no kidding. Like this, this the first movie took place like you know within like within what a, three weeks of the end of World War Two. Like it's right before D Day, and. Now we get a sequel, and we'll get two more sequels. And I'm just like, what? what how? How many missions are you cramming in there in those final weeks? <laughs> well, so Lee Marvin was like, what did I like? Forty three in the first movie, and I mentioned on the last episode, like he looks like an old forty three. I mean, I'm yeah. not trying to be catty or anything, but it's just like it looks like he's seen some stuff. That is a forty three year old today. Like, I mean, that. I don't know. Anyway. 
it's a rough 43. And this movie took place in what? Was it like 15 years later or 18. something? When? It's 18 years. So the first one came out in 67. This was on, uh, this premiered, I think, February 4th, 1985, which also the February timestamp means this was a big deal. Like they, February is, is rating sweeps, you know? Sweeps, yeah. Yeah. So it's like you pull out, you know, pun intended, your big guns. For February and they you know uh, and honestly I mean the Dirty Dozen is a big movie for so for them to you know make an official sequel to that I mean to get Lee Marvin to get Ernest Borgnine well getting Ernest Borgnine wasn't quite so difficult getting Richard Jekyll Jackal I'm not sure how you say it Jekyll okay um uh getting you know them back probably wasn't as difficult but but to get Lee Marvin, the the you know basically the face of that movie, was that's a big deal for a TV. You think movie that's a big then. deal? They got Larry Wilcox for this. Larry Wilcox of Chips fame. Yes. So he's the uh, Kevin. You mentioned how none of them are recognizable. None of them are recognizable to your generation. Uh, most of them aren't. But uh, but Larry Wilcox would have definitely been recognizable because he was on chips with eric estrada which was a hugely successful show i mean it was one of the few tv shows that actually had their own action figure that's Hmm. not a common occurrence back then so sure i just you know at least i could recognize the first you know in the first one at least i could follow along with donald sutherland charles bronson john cassavetes like these are people that i i absolutely know totally yeah and I'm sure at the time, of course, people were actors of the day, so you'd recognize them easier. But to I, me, at least, you know, in retrospect, yeah. like looking at them now, I could not follow who. I, honestly, ask, the only I think the only actor that would have any degree of name recognition would be Larry Wilcox. Would, hmm. would you agree, Paul? Yeah, yeah uh, Ken Wall is the other one who was famous in the 80s, but he wouldn't become famous until a few years later for that wasn't called Firefly. What was the series he was on, Tom? Um, I don't remember. What? Which one is this? Uh, it was the, the Ken Wall. Oh, Wise Guy. Wise Guy. Called. Oh, he's on Wise Guy. Okay. So that was that yeah. wasn't until two years later. Yeah, and I will say the uh, the guy who plays the the Native American member of the Dirty Dozen, Sam Six Killer, uh, <laughs> you might recognize as Billy Bear from. 48 hours he's the he's the the indian that they're looking for throughout 48 hours oh yeah i don't i don't want to say that he was i don't want to say that he was typecast but in every movie he was in he played the indian right right (laughs) he was in predator that's one for joe oh that's right he was in predator recognize that certainly so uh yeah but yeah like i just I, i find it fascinating that like like they're trying to squeeze more stories out of this and it's like the the war is for all practical intents and purposes over, you know, I, you know, I, it's what I really found. I found a lot of things interesting about this movie, but this movie I noticed starts off and has almost the same script as the first one. Oh my God. There yeah. are, there are lo- multiple the lines of dialogue, lines of dialogue between... that are lifted completely from the original. I mean, and it happens I... I mean, seven or eight times throughout the film. Mm-hmm. And I could not believe Ernest Borgnine and Lee Marvin talking, like, together. I mean, I could not believe how they were repeating the same lines of dialogues and even, like, the same jokes. Right. Like, like, 
it, it blew my mind that they basically just took the script. So it's, and so to me, I was thinking like this is less of a sequel. It is technically a sequel, yeah, but it's more of like a made for TV adaptation, similar to like what they did with what was the one um, not Butch and Sundance, but what was the other one we did uh, where they just flipped the names? Like it was uh, oh, the Sting Two. The Sting Two. Yeah, the Sting Two is the same plot. But they just twist it around a little bit, and then they even give them different names. They're like, like the slightly names, different names, yeah. but they're slightly different. So with this movie, this is basically like let's make the Dirty Dozen, but let's make it for TV, and it will be a which, sequel, which but... could work. Except they they subtitled it Next Mission, <laughs> right? But 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 yeah, when you use the same plot and you have some of the same characters. It just it plays really strange. So anyway, I I thought that was really strange. And I have threw me just off. real quick on that. I have in my notes the world's most dangerous drinking game. Take a shot every time they repeat a line or scene from the original film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I can see this being one of those movies where it's done by committee. So you know, somebody in Hollywood says, "I got a great idea. We do a sequel to The Dirty Dozen." Oh, that'd be great because all the people who saw the original, they love that movie. It made a ton of money right. and we can definitely bring them to TV. And then somebody else says, well, what about the people who haven't seen the movie, which was 18 years ago? Well, then they won't know that we're using the exact same script. Yeah. yeah. I this, mean, that's, it, it's, script, it's like. The script reads like, uh, if someone had seen the movie once 20 years ago and then they said, now, now write the, write script, the script for that movie. <laughs> Like from memory. Yeah, it is. And, and so I, I found it really lazy how blatant it was that they ripped the same lines of dialogue, because if you're remaking a movie or if you're adapting a movie for TV, fine, use the same dialogue, but this is a straight sequel. So how do you take the same exact dialogue and say the same things if it's supposed to be a sequel? So it was really muddy the way they did that. And then the plot is what got me like, I had to have Tom kind of explain this to me because I started watching the movie. And so getting right into it, uh, Ernest Borgnine is playing golf and he's end up with, is he with like a Scottish or someone from the UK? He's like with like a yeah. British guy and a yeah, French guy. And other guy. forces they're, they're playing golf. And a French guy. You can tell okay. the Fre- you can tell he's French cause he keeps going. Oh, oh, oh. Yes. And he has a beret on. Yeah. And, <laughs> oh my and, God. and, and he's, He's golfing with a baguette, which was a really yeah, odd choice. Yeah, he's literally holding a baguette, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the, the, the ally, the UK, the British officer is talking to uh, Ernest Borgnine while they're playing golf. He ends up telling him that there's another uh, Nazi officer that's going to kill Hitler. And he's like, well, we can't have someone kill hitler and like i took it and i was wrong but i took it as like they're saying like they don't want hitler to die because they have to kill hitler and so i didn't understand and i asked tom i'm like why is the plot of this movie that they have to kill someone before they kill hitler that seems awful and tom had explained it this is very toward the end of hitler's power and that he was doing a terrible job and so that if someone younger and more motivated came in and replaced him the war would drag out is that did i get that correct yeah that was that that's my take on it it's so ridiculous on paper and i get where they're coming from now that it's been explained but when you told me that the the dirty dozen has to go kill the guy trying to kill hitler i thought what a ridiculous as if the first one wasn't ridiculous enough that just sounds ludicrous to me i kind of like the idea like it's it's <laughs> ludicrous but i mean let's be honest the first movie's premise 
is kind of ridiculous, right? So, like, that they would use all these death row people, like, that. The, yeah. that's your best option. Like, that. The, no, it's not. But, um, <laughs> uh, so it's like, I, I'm kind of okay with the ridiculous thing, but, but using the o- their own world that they've created, right? The And the original Dirty Dozen, um, the premise was they were going to kill all these people at the Chateau in France, right? Mm-hmm. And because it's this big giant Nazi party, it's a Nazi party for the Nazi party, and uh, and that there'd be all these leaders there, and it would cause, uh, basically, it would kind of damage their talent pool and disrupt, you know, the talent pool and put lesser qualified people in charge to make decisions in conjunction with D-Day, right? Right. So if your whole thing was let's disrupt a chain of command last time, well, if you assassinate Hitler, you should have theoretically created a power vacuum beneath him two weeks ago. Right. Excuse me. Uh, are we talking about a TV movie that you're trying to apply logic? To? <laughs> <laughs> That's all we've got. <laughs> good, good call on that. So, <laughs> so, so we get into it, and it is the. I mean, it's the same movie essentially. So, oh my their, god, their, so their goal is a little bit different, but it still has to do with killing Nazis. And he's just going around, meaning uh, Reisman, played by Lee Marvin. Going around, he Ernest Borgnine even says, he, I mean, he basically, and not so many words, says, yeah, you've done this before. Go ahead and do it again. Well, and I guess one of the little changes they make this time, which is, I guess, Lee Marvin has was what caught, uh, Reisman was caught, oh. uh, like, what, stealing liquor or something? He's stealing and, whiskey, they said. That he, and steaks. Yeah, whiskey okay. and steaks meant for, like, superior officers. Right. He ended up stealing them and giving them to his men. So you're right. Reisman is actually going to do jail time, like, three years hard labor so, or something. Yeah, so, like, that's how they kind of coerce him into doing it instead of, which is, like, you but, don't even need to do. It. You can just order them to do it. It's the military. Right, That's kind of but, the kind of their jam. Not not only that. If you're Reisman and you're in that situation, and they they caught you with that stuff, and ooh, the generals didn't get to have their filet mignon. Yeah. Wouldn't you go to them? Excuse me. Did you hear about the chalet that I just hit? Right. <laughs> yeah. I, got, you... I, I took out like 300 German officers, and uh, we used gasoline. Did, did I mention any of that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and really, you're you're gonna. You're going to send me to jail for three years for taking some steaks? Dude, yeah. It should be called Reisman's Omaha Steak Company. He should get whatever he wants at this point. <laughs> it's funny. He's going to go to jail for stealing whiskey, Ste- not not for put, turning a machine gun on a superior officer. Yes, that's exactly. Thank you. Go listen to the last episode if you haven't. I'm sure you have. But So it's ridiculous all around. But Ernest Borgnine says, like, I know the man for the job. And so they end up getting Reisman to do it because he's wanted for stake theft and whatever. So he assembles a team of not everybody you saw in the last movie. They just try to assemble the exact same archetypes, basically. Some of them are hybrids, but it's for all intents and purposes. You get your crazy guy. Yeah. You get your token black guy. It, it's get, the I mean, same team. Yeah. But I will say, what was really funny is I made this joke way before we watched the movie, but two or three weeks ago, I'm like, they really missed an opportunity by not calling this the Dirty Baker's Dozen. <laughs> <laughs> and then in this movie, they enlist 13 people and Reisman's like, not a dozen, a baker's dozen. <laughs> I just thought, I'm like, oh, okay. Man, how bored does Lee Marvin look in this movie? He, oh. 
I like, there are times when like I really feel like they had to do multiple takes to to like edit around his eye rolling. Like you know, you know, he was thinking. Look, I was drunk through the first movie. <laughs> now I'm sober, and I thought I'm seeing the same movie in my head over and over uh, again. Yeah. Like, there, get me out of here. There's a scene where where he's given the dirty dozen the, the speech about how like if if you screw up just one time, just one time, and I mean, and it's for bait him from the original and right. like and he's just so monotone and like you could just he's practically shaking his head while he says the lines this is so <laughs> clearly something he did for the money like a little backstory and i think this is what the only this i think this is the sole reason this movie exists but lee marvin was involved in a very 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 famous and extremely well publicized uh, not divorce because he wasn't married to her, and okay. and he but he was with this lady for for quite a period of time, and it's actually the case where they coined the phrase palimony, which yeah. is alimony what? for someone you're not married to. And yeah, I had never heard that word before. Yeah, and and he uh he had to cut her a very significant check, and it went back in court, back and forth in court for. I think four or five years. I mean, it went on for a long time. And I mean, it was like a it was like a running gag on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And I mean, it was it was a big, big story. And and uh, it cost him a lot of money. And I really I think the only because he didn't like the first movie. He thought it was a bad movie. He didn't care for it. And so. Well, I think, I mean, I was reading that he said that it was a stupid movie while he was making it, but didn't he turn around and admit that it was a good movie? Like, once it was done, I read that he was like, yeah. okay, it's good. But I mean, he wasn't, it's not, you know, and but he immediately used the cachet that he got from The Dirty Dozen to turn around and make Point Blank, which is really. Yeah a really good movie but very different like he did not want to make these kind of movies yes i could see an actor thinking that this the sub the material is beneath them and doing it for a paycheck this going and doing a tv movie of the dirty dozen kind of makes me think of like wesley snipes or nicholas cage or john travolta doing these just straight to dvd terrible movies because they need to pay their taxes or need to pay for whatever it is like it has to be because also, I don't know if anyone knows the story. I don't. But like 18 years later, what took so long to make a sequel and why did they decide to do this? Does anyone know the reason? I would like to think that the Hollywood executives that the idea was brought to said, no, we're not doing that. Get out. Oh, so they sold it to TV. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my I guess so. is, is twofold is one. Hollywood wasn't a sequel driven back then. Like, I mean, mm. I'm not saying it never happened, but now that's the first thing they, you know, I promise you, like in some Hollywood office somewhere, some executive has said, could we get a Schindler's list too? Can let's, <laughs> let's ask ourselves that question. Like somebody has had the balls to say that, right? Like, 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 but back then they, they weren't as motivated by that. It was more about stars. Right. So it's like, if it's like, well, let's make the next Humphrey Bogart movie. Let's make the next John Wayne movie. Well, tell me about it. We just did one. How about the sequel to the Maltese Falcon called the black bird? Yeah. And the, title but above the tiny little the blackbird title nowhere does it say Maltese Falcon right. but it says you'll love George Siegel's bird or whatever yeah. on it. like it's all about the people like you'd write the movie posters were all Humphrey Bogart and yeah so it, it's, know, it just Cary wasn't Grant. it just one so one it wasn't the mindset but two sure I think they also thought well I mean, they 
killed off almost everybody. So it's like, yeah. you know, like, do, just pe- do people want to see Dirty Dozen without Charles Bronson, with without John Cassavetes, without, you know what I mean? Like, all <laughs> well, you had... All you had left were, I mean, you had, I mean, you still had Charles Bronson. He, he, his character lived, but, but, you know, but for the most part, and all the main people died. So you had yeah. Lee Marvin and Charles Bronson. That's and, a missed opportunity that yeah. only three survived of the actual fighters. You know, yeah. Uh, and like in today's nice. world, they wouldn't let that happen. They would leave a lot more of of half. the Dirty Dozen alive. Yeah, you'd have to have a half to mix back in. Yeah, for that very reason. And and I will say to the to this movie's credit, what little credit I'll give it. I mean, they get back, th- you know, three of the five biggest names of characters who are still left alive like right like you 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 get Bowron and you and you get Ernest Borgnine's character Ward Warden right and uh and then you get Lee Marvin and so the only ones only big names I can think of who were left alive um would be George Kennedy and Charles Bronson and yeah Charles Bronson still had a he was about a decade away from entering the tv movie phase of his career so yeah i was gonna say i think that's the missed opportunity of this is not having anyone in the dirty dozen be uh connective tissue right so yeah if you would have had charles bronson leading the group or kind of showing like i've been here i've been you know referencing some stuff they've done in the past some callbacks i think that you would have had a better movie but because the rest of the cast is so forgettable and you don't have the connective tissue other than lee marvin but he's doing the exact same thing with a lot of the same lines yeah it really falls apart there Um, but here's the problem charles bronson would have looked 18 years older yeah lee marvin and ernest Mm. borgnine even though it was 18 years later they looked essentially the Mm. same lee marvin looks 90 in this movie i hate to tell you but but he he looked old in the first one oh i know he did you know what i mean like so it's it's like i don't think i mean i i think considering it's 20 years later lee marvin looks pretty good like ernest borgnine obviously looks older like his hair isn't he is thinner and it's not as dark but like i still believe him as a general and he's you know he 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 clearly shot all of his scenes in two days and but you're also applying logic to this movie that we've already said is out the window so if you can get charles bronson (laughs) i think you get charles bronson and i don't and i think if you could get charles bronson you would have made a theatrical film yeah well there you go because he was still a box office draw like they were still I mean for canon films but they were yeah. still making money like you know like that honestly, may have been the difference though that's what they should have done like they should have they they should have been a canon film and just gotten really weird with it and gotten crazy yeah exactly yeah. so it's the same exact story he gets he I mean aside from they're, they're trying to take out this general Dietrich who is like Hitler's right hand man because he's trying to take out Hitler and, and overtake him and run the Nazi party. So they get together the Dirty Dozen, which ends up being 13 of them at first. But as soon as the guy mouths off, which I think is an homage to Franco, during the lineup this time, the the 13 of them, uh, he mouths off and immediately uh, Lee Marvin makes an example of him. He says, he says, take him back to prison. And, you know, I don't know if this guy was one sentence to death or hard labor, but whatever it is, he's going back and he never flinched. Lee Marvin never was like, okay, see that that's, what's going to happen to you. Like, no, they take the dude away. Yeah. <laughs> and they're back down to the dirty dozen pretty quickly. But I will say we didn't mention on the last episode, but I do in my research, the dirty dozen is actually based on a real group of people. So it was actually, was it the, 
Filthy 13 or something like that. Yeah, there's supposedly something called the Filthy 13. And I'm sure that a lot of it is like, you know, stories that were passed down and whatever. But yeah. but apparently there is some truth rooted in this Filthy 13. And so I think maybe that was, uh, maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but maybe doing <laughs> the Filthy 13 in this movie was like an homage to the real people who the story was based on. But anyway, they get back down to the Dirty Dozen, which, you know, it's called the Dirty Dozen. They can't have 13 of them. So um, they could have with my idea, but um, they're they're back down to that. And they say, hey, we've got to go on this suicide mission. And none of the guys trust them. And just like in the first one, they're like, you're not a, a general or a corporal or whatever, like captain. You can't commute my sentence. And Lee Marm is just like, yeah, well, I can. So believe me and they i mean it's just like okay so so they all end up okay they reluctantly go uh with him uh and this one i think it's even worse than franco though because like franco was insubordinate and always was like i'm gonna escape and all this but in this movie the franco character is like yeah the second he turns around i'm gonna put a bullet in his back i'm gonna kill him yeah like i mean this guy like they are really much more reluctant to help him like these guys are all pretty much like yeah we'll we'll go with you but we're going to escape basically yeah so but you when they were introducing the characters real quick they i thought it was like weird like they're introducing all these like murderers and rapists and when they get to a guy his name's uh conrad and and his crime was he was caught stealing from the bodies of dead soldiers Oh, looting, right. And then yeah. Lee Marvin says, yeah, I used to do that too. <laughs> no, Lee, no, Lee Marvin, he's like, he's, that's the one where he's like, uh, um, no, I think it's the guy who's taking German souvenirs that he, that he was talking about. Yeah. Oh, I thought says, that's who you were talking. Okay. No, sorry. there's a guy that was, actually, that was stealing from the bodies of American soldiers. Okay. Like, and, and Lee Marvin doesn't even go in his cell. He's like, let me in there and I'll kill him myself. But and that's I'm like, what I didn't understand. I, I thought was like, he, but there was rapists and killers. I, I know, but I, I see, I, I got a confused on, I thought they were the same person, but I didn't realize I must've looked away that they had cut to it because they literally are the same back and forth. If it's they not the are same person. I, like honestly, I kept getting distracted. I backed it up and watched it a couple times to make. So they sure just I, cut to the next one after that. They then. did because I I heard him go, "Let me in there and I'll kill him myself," just like you after yeah. the rapist and everything. And then he's like, "I've I've been st- you got caught stealing stuff off of German soldiers." Yeah. And Lee Marvin's like, "Yeah, I've been known to do that too, but it's called looting." And I'm like, "What the hell is going on here?" Yeah. Like what? It's so weird. Okay, well, thank you for clarifying. They're two different people. That was a yes. very odd choice to have those back to back. But it anyway. was, and and the actors even looked similar. It was, yeah. Uh, it's it's very confusing. So so they he gets them all together and he enlists them and he their their mission is to go to an airfield. I believe their first assignment that they think they're going to get this guy. Uh, they're going to intercept the plane of this uh, lieutenant of Hitler's where he's going to come in or is it a train or a plane? It's a train. Kind of they're going to train. Okay. The, yeah. So the train is going to come in and so they're going to end up killing him. Well, it ends up that when they land at the airport, uh, the Nazi soldiers identify the black guy. Like they're dressed up again as Nazis, yeah. but they, they wouldn't I have know, a black. right? Like, uh, <laughs> how did you not? I mean, honestly, when I watched The Dirty Dozen the first time, that was my first thought. I'm like, you're dropping a black guy behind enemy lines in Germany? Like, it doesn't, yeah, yeah. it's it's such a because they use the same thing twice in this movie to get them caught. But in the first movie, Jim Brown doesn't pretend to be a German. Right. In this one, they're having the guy 
whatever his name was, the black guy, uh, <laughs> he, he has to dress up like the rest of them in Nazi uniforms. It makes no sense. Right. Because it, yeah. so it's, it's that sort of thing where at the prison where Lee Marvin was interviewing the guys, hey, buddy, I'd love to bring you along, but yeah. our plan is to put right. everybody in Nazi uniforms and pretend to be German. They're going to see right through that. Right. Paul, you. Why did they not have him on the outskirts like they do at the end of the movie? Have him be a sniper where he's not in uniform. Like, don't have him go into, I don't know. They, they could have done yeah, it smarter. It was, it was There's stupid. a lot of things they could have done yeah. smart. So they're, Let's they're, wrap him up in yes, gauze. Their genius plan is to wrap his head up in bandages <laughs> so that he will man. not be identified yeah. as being black. But then the guy ends up spotting his hands are black. Like, he couldn't have worn gloves? <sighs> Did gloves not exist? Were they not in the budget? Well, I they mean, didn't think about it until they were on the plane. Like, right? Okay. So, now, I don't even know why they had gauze on the plane. So wrap his hands up in gauze. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. anyway, yeah. it's stupid. So they identify him, and then so they end up having to steal a, a bus that's on the airfield. And they have this is where you get the first, like, act, big action scene of the movie. Uh, there's a bunch of Nazis on motorcycles chasing them down, and they're shooting out the back of the bus. And big. They spent some money on this thing. Yeah, no, it's a big action set piece. I mean, especially for a made for TV movie. This is some of the worst stunt work. But for I've a seen TV movie, made for TV yeah, movie, it, circa nineteen eighty five, I think it, this is about as good as it gets. I'm, I'm saying, for what it is, I agree. It's not the greatest thing that we've seen, but for what it is, it's like okay, they actually. But yes, this is like Six Flags stunt show level work. <laughs> yeah. I, I will not yes. deny that, but I will uh, also like, say, what, what is what is this going to cost us to make this look good? About a hundred thousand dollars. How much is our budget? Forty five dollars. <laughs> yeah. But it's so, like I said, for made for TV, like unless you were in like a true prestige miniseries, you didn't have this was a pretty this was about right. as high of a budget Ugh. undertaking as you were going to get. So I also so, think they were testing the waters to see if anybody cared, because that's why you get two more. You get two more of these and a television show. Also, just while we're talking about the motorcycle chase, I've thought about this at other times where I've seen this vehicle in movies Whoever wanted to be in the sidecar? Side. <laughs> That's worse. First well, of all, that one, that one has a gun, right? Yeah, you're always going to be the guy with the gun. <laughs> yeah, and so they're always going to be shooting Aiming at for you, you. <laughs> not the driver. Secondly, when this thing flips. And it's going to it's because going it has to, to yeah. because that's how much you get for forty five dollars. <laughs> You're the guy who has go right over on your head. <laughs> but it's worse I mean, than to... riding bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather but ride it, bitch. <laughs> but you know what? If you take out the driver, you take out the gun and the driver. So I mean, I don't know that you have that much more of a target. But I agree. It's Do you not... know anybody in real life who said I'm going to get a sidecar and ride in that? <laughs> Sweet Batman yeah. puts Robin. <laughs> so yeah, that's right so they they end up they they take out all the guys on motorcycles but in the process one of them dies right this is where we lose our mm-hmm. first dirty dozen member yeah. and we'll just i mean who knows i i couldn't follow if i couldn't follow the first one hardly i have no idea who these these people are as a part of this dirty dozen so in the first one it would have been one of the other six the, the six you don't know the red don't shirts care about. yeah here is one of the other 10 right they're all basically red shirts in this movie yes practically um so they they end up losing one of him uh and then uh oh sorry i'm reading online causing a crash that claims the life of anderson <laughs> so just so you know paul i know you're worried about it anderson had died here okay Okay. <laughs> so, uh, you, you know what? I'm looking on IMDb and it lists all the characters. 
Do they have just numbers? Or <laughs> No, Anderson is not one of the first 20 characters listed. <laughs> okay. So the first Dirty Dozen member that dies isn't one of the first 20 people listed in the movie. Okay, so that tells you a lot about it. So they, they end up needing a new vehicle because they crash this bus, and they end up going to uh, this French farm, this dude's farm and uh they want to steal his truck where they go to a french farm where they grow baguettes oh they grow ba- the baguettes are right off the vine yeah they're picking them off the vine yes so they uh they they try to steal this dude's truck they're like we're commandeering your truck and he's like why do these german guys speak english and they're like never mind that we're stealing your truck and he's like the ger- all the germans in this movie speak english <laughs> yeah they all <laughs> you know, do like, first of all i'm yes. glad you mentioned that because i wanted to mention this right at the beginning of this when we, I started to watch this on the DVD that Kevin got me. Yeah, it's a it's a special feature. You can't get this movie. Yeah, separately. to be clear, this movie is a special feature on the Dirty Dozen Blu-ray. You cannot right. even buy it, it individually. What's so weird? So, like this movie is so hard to find. Like I mean, it's on the it's on the Blu-ray and DVD is a special feature, but but like it doesn't stream anywhere. Nobody's mm-hmm. illegally uploaded it to YouTube. It's no. not on another. Di- it's got to be because of TV rights. There has to be a different kind of home video right to it because but the other two are available on voodoo you can watch the other two on voodoo anytime you want that's weird yeah Yeah. it's got to be a weird rights issue and i have no idea when i started watching this one and it started with the stereotypical 80s tv font yeah Mm -hmm. i I said to myself okay here's where we go and then the very first thing you see in this movie is two german guards at a checkpoint talking to each other in english Mm -hmm. and i went okay that's the level of this now this is not this is not a matter of budget this is a matter of complete laziness right They like couldn't get two people scene. that spoke German and and, and subtitles. It right. matters. There's a scene later in the movie where uh, I think we're about to get there, where they're they're hiding out in a barn and dressed up as Germans, and then the German soldiers come in and see other people who are presumably German soldiers, and then speak to them in English. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It's it, it, you know we're not trying to get like really nitpicky on this made for TV sequel. 18 years later but they're doing things that really take you out of it that wouldn't have taken that much thought it's the fact that they put no thought and thought they, yeah. they just said this isn't necessary like no one's going to care but that's Pure why laziness. this that's why this yeah. movie doesn't hold up right when you make little decisions like that they all add up totally and you don't get a great movie like the first one is so well you know what we're talking about the original movie 53 years after it was made and praising it as a great movie i don't think i would have praised this one as even a a movie movie 53 (laughs) minutes into the movie touche so so they they the guy says don't steal my truck no but i've got something you can use and so he gives them this bullet riddled uh mercedes that you know they're making jokes about saying oh this is a mercedes-benz it's a great car oh it was and uh one of the guys is like yeah i can have this up and running in 23 minutes <laughs> like okay like he just knows yeah. he knows that you know okay uh, and incidentally they then all pile into this mercedes like the beverly hillbillies <laughs> yeah and and all i can think to myself was the truck about, would have been so much just, better. Just, what are you in a car just for? Just the guy's truck. They had a. Con- you got eleven people. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm saying. They had a conscience. They had a moment of conscience where they couldn't steal the guy's truck. <laughs> These when convicted on this- murderers, murderers, <laughs> and rapists were like, "Well, we don't want to steal this dude's truck." Yeah, <laughs> but but he's got baguettes to sell, Tom. <laughs> How's he going to bring him to market in that old Mercedes? He's not. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so anyway, they end up, uh, I don't know, they end up getting into that barn situation that Paul mentions, uh, where 
once again, they use the exact same reason that they got caught the first time at the airfield. They The German soldiers start talking to him, and then they see the black guy. And he's like, who are you? Who is your leader and what platoon, whatever are you in? And Lee Marvin tries to talk to him and a couple other guys try to talk. The German-speaking guy, whoever he is, tries to talk to him. And he's like, no, I mean you. And then they end up getting into a shootout and they're shooting all the German soldiers and all that. I don't know. Am I missing anything? That's about what happens. No. And- Was the Americans plan to talk their way out of this? <laughs> From a budget, I think it was the producer's uh, plan with the budget. They're going to have to talk their way out of everything. <laughs> right. Because we don't have bullets. Yeah. I will yeah. say there, gonna, there, there's... We a, don't even need bullets. We don't have squibs. Yeah. yeah. No. A, oh, my gosh. Well, even in the first movie, though, when they yeah. die outside of the castle and they don't even show fake blood or squibs or anything, when they're just like, oh, you got me, and they fall over, that's pretty terrible. You have yeah, to admit. it was. Yeah, all the deaths were just oh, you got me. Like playing, like like playing kids dead. playing cowboys. Kids and, yeah. pl- ex- precisely. So I, did- I will say there's one there's one little moment I like in this, and it, it it's in the other the scene I just mentioned that I didn't like where the Germans come in and speak English, but like I like that they have uh, uh, Lee Marvin pretending to be drunk to try to hide his accent i, I was, was gonna like, say oh. yeah that wasn't I, I was like that'd be clever if he was actually speaking in german you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. except for wouldn't the other german guys be like that's just gibberish yeah <laughs> whether you're drunk or not but yeah so it didn't play as well as it could have for sure oh. so a uh, few of them get wounded in this battle uh but th- anyway they're they're trying to go uh oh they cut to they cut to the second in command guy and i guess th- some of the people are starting to be suspicious that he wants to take over command of the Nazis. And so like he shoots one of the other guys. So I guess that's that's to show he's a really, really bad Nazi. He's shooting his, he does the, he does the Shane thing. Pick up, pick up that gun. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And so he ends up killing him like they're eating in the dining car or something. Um, Yeah. So the train arrives and with all the Nazis and uh, was it the whole time they're wondering why this train is uh, is so important. Oh, that's right. It's under such heavy guard. And so that's right. uh, Reisman tells him, oh, it's because there's it's a treasure train and there's all this gold and stuff on. (laughs) Yeah. Treasure train. You uh, see? Treasure train. And and, uh, (laughs) help me. I'll let you keep the treasure train. Like it's like what what are those? What's that candy? The kin the Kinder, the Kinder egg, the the with the the chocolate ball that they used to put toys Wonder inside ball? of Wonder Ball. Like it's a Wonder Ball, but um, uh, so he tells him there's all the treasure on there, and then and then then he finally has to admit to them later that it's that that was all just made up and so they buy it because they're like well you know of course you know in not in nazi occupied france and and poland and all that uh, the nazis would of course imprison all the jewish people and they would take all their artwork and their gold and jewels and everything so i mean at least to to be fair to the script like they the nazis were comp- there's some logic to they, the theory. yeah they really were yeah. in history stealing all these people's you know the, it was all horrendous of course and they were stealing all their belongings and so lee marvin tried to make it out like oh this is the train transporting all the goods they had stolen from these different countries and they're all getting them to some depot or something so the guys go along with it although at this point in the movie it's this even lee marvin you know reisman says how stupid it is these guys are like well you had your shot we were contracted to kill uh the second in command at the airport and because we didn't arrive in time or at the train station or whatever because we didn't arrive in time 
our contracts are done. Like it's the stupidest logic ever, and they're all trying to escape. Yeah, suddenly it's contract yeah, law. Like, yeah. <laughs> and so that's why Lee Marvin has to come up with this crazy idea because otherwise they're you know he's not going to have anyone to fight with him. So uh, they they believe him and and uh, they they go about their business and uh, eventually I don't even remember what happens other than when Hitler lands on the plane. What else happens in well, this they, movie? They get to the they get to the train and then a plane lands. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, and I think that I mean I think that is there's not much the yeah there's not much else to it because so I mean it's a it was a it's a two hour it the movie was in a two hour time slot which means there was you know thirty minutes of commercials sure, it's like an hour twenty five um, minute movie or something so yeah by the time you take out the credits yeah, yeah. Like it's, so it's, not much you know, happens I mean yeah they get to they get there to try to kill the second in command and they end up giving the black guy the job as being a sniper because this whole time it's like Lee Marvin just hasn't told him what his job is going to be he's like are you going right. to let me know what I'm doing and he doesn't and finally when they get here they're like ah here's a sniper rifle for you okay, so, so he, let me stop right here because <laughs> please it's at this point watching this piece of drick that I thought to myself, why do we need the rest of the dirty dozen? If the mission is to kill a guy with a sniper general, rifle. Yeah. No, yeah. If the mission is to kill the general, you, you, you go don't there, need 12 people. Yeah, you don't need 12 people. You take the best guy who could shoot <laughs> from a long distance and find where the general is going to be and let him take the general out and then leave. Isn't it a little yeah. easier to hide 12, one person than 12? Yes. Like they're sneaking as, around the countryside. If they had as opposed people. to the plan in this movie, which is once he takes the general out, we'll then run 10 or 11 <laughs> of us into a heavily armed yeah. airport facility and railroad <laughs> facility swarming with Nazis. That can't possibly go wrong. It's so stupid. Yeah. You're right. It's yeah. Like, the, fir- <laughs> the, the plan in the first one relied on brute force where... Mm-hmm where this one is entirely stealth driven. Right, they were taking over a castle as opposed to sniping someone. So you're right, it's ludicrous. (laughs) As much as this movie is basically like a soft reboot of the first one or a made-for-television reboot, they just do everything worse. (laughs) Yeah, it's It's like if you watch the first Dirty Dozen and you thought to yourself, I wish this wasn't as good... Um, boy <laughs> do i have a movie for you yeah like i'm like if only this wasn't so entertaining um, i'm i'm too entertained by this movie right like i just i think with my constitution i'm not ready for this sort of inter- level of entertainment what's better than two and a, a half hours of jam-packed entertainment than one and a half hours of terrible boring illogical act- hey, let, let, let me go to one other piece of again screenwriting laziness Please. The Larry Wilcox character, of course, is a country hayseed. Right. But he knew how to fly a crop duster mm. back right. home. And he mentions I that know. early on. And I think to myself, well, he's going to have to fly the getaway plane. Right. I don't I don't know where they're going to have a getaway plane. but Of course, they're the same thing. Uh, 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 Boy, let's, let's talk about Larry Wilcox for a second. Boy, he was going for it. Yeah. <laughs> He thought he was in a good movie. Like, this was his time to shine. Absolutely. But there's that scene where his character, when they're taking off in the plane the first time, he looks through the cockpit door and says, wow, look at all those buttons and dials up there. (laughs) And then at the end of the movie, he's put in a plane with a lot of buttons and dials. And it's not a crop duster, and he knows how to fly it, no problem. Go Absolutely. ahead and step on that right rudder and pull up on this. And <laughs> what What's with the faces he makes while he's tr- flying like the plane? Like he is like, grunting. Is it, he looks and... like, 
He looks like he's trying to poop. He does. The whole time he's flying the plane. I mean, I don't know how hard it is to fly 1945 German bomber planes, believe it or not. Apparently it causes constipation. (laughs) It is is something else watching him fly this thing. You're right. He was going for it. You got to give him that. So so, uh, the black guy ends up getting uh, the German officer in his sights. But then who steps off this plane that arrives but Hitler himself? And so now he's got this moral quandary of do i just take out hitler even though okay i'm gonna have to say i kind of dig this scene like i kind of like i kind of like the whole idea of like how do you not pull no, the trigger i 100 percent agree with you he doesn't know the plan of the superiors what i don't like is that they inserted the commercial break in the middle of oh, yes <laughs> while he's aiming the gun dun 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 new calgon fade out <laughs> <laughs> hey, Hitler has just arrived at the airport. Try new Calgon with extra white rinsing action. Oh, don't put the ad for a Mercedes Benz there. Oh, I'll tell you that. No. I, um, the new Volkswagen Passat. <laughs> right. Uh, so the guy who plays Hitler, like that's his thing. He played Hitler five times. He's also the Hitler that you'll get in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Really? Oh. Yeah, like the, he plays Hitler all he played Hitler five times oh. and and just to show versatility, yeah. he played Himmler three times because oh, okay. he's you know didn't want to get typecast. That's some range. And, like, uh, yeah. and but he's also in a very famous iconic scene that uh that I think almost anyone of a certain age will remember, but he is the actor who Darth Vader force chokes in Empire Strikes oh, Back. Wow. Okay. So there you go. So is he British? <laughs> Most all so. of them are British, you know. And the, Almost all yeah. of them are, yeah. Well, let me mention something else about this guy. I didn't know any of that that you just mentioned until just now, Tom. And I realized in this movie, he says no lines, which means yeah. he got paid minimum scale. He played Hitler in a TV movie and got paid $100. <laughs> oh, jeez. You would think that there's like some sort of bump for having to play Hitler. Like you get extra. Like if you're going to be like the face in, a, in an ad for a, a drug for STDs, like you should get extra. I think you get an extra V that comes in the commissary. That. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. They put it on a baguette, <laughs> a day old baguette. So, yeah. So he has this moral quandary, which I mean, I, I get it. I totally like that decision that he has to make because he doesn't know the the general's plans and that they want to kill Hitler or don't want to kill Hitler because they need, I I will say I, I watched this movie when it originally aired. Okay. You know, and this is the only thing I remember from it. Oh, it's, I mean, it seems like the memorable scene. Yeah. So he has to go back and forth. This sniper rifle has Hitler in his sights, but he ends up shooting, uh, I don't know what the other guy's name is. Whatever, not Hitler, the second in command, uh, general Dietrich. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, he ends up killing the other guy. And so then they like like uh, Paul says, now that they've killed him, obviously the whole base is on alert and they have to go into their big firefight and all that. And so but they find out that the train is carrying treasure. <laughs> yeah. Well, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's like, does he? It's our artwork and Beethoven's piano yeah, that they so decide he, to play while under fire. He just guessed. I, I <laughs> he just got it right, I guess. That's my favorite line in the whole movie, though. Where the one guy's like, they're like going through the stuff, and he's like, "This isn't 
this isn't treasure. It's it's like art. He's like, th- and, and Lee Marvin just goes, "That's because you're dumb." <laughs> <laughs> and That's it's the good. only good line delivery. Lee, I think Lee Marvin has in the whole movie. Like, I think he just, I almost think he was frustrated with the actor because just the way he says yeah. it. By the way, by the way, if you want to see a pretty good uh, movie for, again from World War II that was made in the '60s about a train full of stuff that the Nazis had stolen, uh, particularly artwork. There was a movie literally called The Train with Burt Lancaster as the uh, engineer of this train that is full of this stuff. And he's been ordered at gunpoint to uh, take the train through from occupied France into Germany so that the Germans can have this stuff and, and keep it away from the Allies. And along the way, he has members of the French resistance joining him secretly to essentially try to, you know, derail this train from its mission, pardon the pun. So maybe that should have been the Dirty Dozen too. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? Yeah. <laughs> should have remade that. Yeah. Remade, yeah. But I think the person who who wrote the script for this must have seen that and said, okay, here's my inspiration. I'm going to have Beethoven's piano be on this train. Ooh. And nobody else <laughs> said, you're what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the that's the treasure they're all looking for so yeah. they end up so they they get in the big firefight with all the nazis and everything and they end up stealing that plane that hitler had arrived in and this is where you get the pilot has to fight them one of their Ooh. engines blows out and, or, and or, you know they has to fly and the engine blows out and they end up having to land it which i thought this was probably the best scene in the movie Personally, I, I thought the plane, like, at least I'm just like, oh, are they going to crash or not? I mean, which oh, come on. Not, Did you but... think that when they're coming no, into the I cliffs just... of Dover, you thought this is going to gonna go straight into that no, white wall? But it, it to me, it felt the most like a real scene in a movie. I don't know. It just like to me, I'm like, and OK, t- let's kill the parachuting. How bad was the parachute? Oh, my God. Oh. I, thought they, I thought they just used footage from the first one. It was so bad. Oh, my God. The parachuting is there. Like, you never see anyone actually. You never see the the parachute just the strings it's, letting them down it's like stock it's like stock footage from like eight millimeter war footage of the parachutes and then it cuts to like lee marvin close up with some like strings he's pulling or what yeah. like it's 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 so horrible Terrible. but anyway so so they they have to land the plane the engine's blowing out and so the pilot guy poops his pants trying to pull up on the thing and get him over the hill like tom was talking about they narrowly escape it by a few feet uh and they land and this is where it's is it a scotsman or something i don't know who this it's, it's a, a countryside. Yeah. No, an Englishman. It's the English countryside. Okay, so and I, I'm not keeping track of what these who, where they are, but well, that's so, the cliffs of Dover, which is at a, or the the end of the English Channel and the beginning of England. Okay, yeah, I mean whatever yes so so the guy the guy ends up like pulling a shotgun on him because they're in a Nazi plane and they all have Nazi uniforms and. All it takes is Lee Marvin to speak to him, and he's like, "Oh, you're Yanks, okay?" Yeah. <laughs> and Lee Marvin grabs the gun out of his hand. He's like, "Let's go get a drink." And, and then the movie just ends, and it's the exact. It's probably the exact same line as the first one. It, it the voice, yeah, the voice. It's Ernest Borgnine this time, yeah. but it's like he's reading the like the exact same thing about oh, their sentences were commuted and blah blah yeah, blah. It's yeah, the exact same thing. Oh. And that's it. So bad. So so bad. I uh, just some some background because so so this, since this is made for TV movie, I won't talk about uh, I won't talk about what the top grossing movies of that year okay. were. But would you like to know what else aired on television? Sure, let's night? go yeah. to the TV guy. I find that kind of stuff interesting. So uh, so the lead in for this show was TV's bloopers and practical jokes, <laughs> which 
was very which was perfect I mean, before you what's going to keep before you had viral videos like this is what you this is what you had I know but you're, you're talking about like lead in shows oh if you love bloopers and and gags and and boners or whatever they call them why don't you watch the dirty <laughs> dozen 2 Tom was that Dick Clark and Ed McMahon uh, I think at this point it was just Dick Clark but originally it, they were specials that they hosted together and then I think it when it went to series it was just became Dick Clark hosting them but yeah but uh but yeah it was it, but that was a I mean that was a big show but so yeah so on ABC uh you had Hardcastle and McCormick and then followed by a TV movie called Consenting Adult uh a drama a nice piece of counter programming to the Dirty Dozen this is a drama about a young man coming out to his parents it starred uh, Martin Sheen and I'm remember, trying to remember who the actress was. It was a, a fairly big name actress. Marlo Thomas. Okay, there we go. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I knew it was somebody pretty, pretty well known. Um, and then uh, on CBS, you had Scarecrow and Mrs. King, followed by Kate and Alley and Newhart, the one where he owns the inn, not where he's a psychiatrist or psychologist. Yeah. Uh, and then in the in the ten o'clock hour, nine o'clock central. Uh, was Cagney and Lacey, so that that ran oh. against the Dirty Dozen, which uh, um, and in case you're concerned, Dirty Dozen next mission won the night with a 23.8 rating. Wow! So, uh, consenting adult got a 23.1 though. It was a close call, but uh, but but Dirty Dozen did win the night. I mean, mm-hmm. people. People tuned in to see this thing, and, and they sold get, their ads, I guess. And you, yeah, and and you do get more of them, right? Like you get so in nineteen eighty. Well, that's true. Yeah, in nineteen eighty seven, you'll get uh, the Dirty Dozen Deadly Mission, and then in 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 eighty eight, you'll get Dirty Dozen the Fatal Mission, which I don't know if they realize Deadly and Fatal both mean the same thing. So, are, is but, there any uh, connective <laughs> tissue other than bringing an actor back from the first one? Are the characters connected in any way? Do you know? So I have not watched those, although I believe as of this recording, both of those are available to watch for free on Vudu with ads. Okay. Uh, but so Lee Marvin died in 87. So he, my guess is he was in probably too too poor of health to to be in the next one. Mm-hmm. So they bring in Telly Savalas, who played Maggot in the first one. He's not playing Maggot because, one, that character's dead. That would be difficult. Two, that would make no sense that they would put him in charge of anything. Um the only uh, ca- cast member that returns at this point is Ernest Borgnine. Hmm. Uh, so that's the sole connective tissue that's left. So is he in all, all of them? Uh, he's in all of them, but yes. he's in all of the made-for-TV movies, correct. Wow. And so uh, all of these aired on NBC, and then the plot of this one, uh, learning of a Nazi plot to attack Washington, D.C. with a deadly nerve gas major right leads 12 convicts on a suicide mission deep into occupied france to destroy the secret factory where the poison is made so at least you would need 12 people for that <laughs> like that's you know right and i think the biggest name in that one was probably uh, among the dirty dozen was probably bo svenson who's best known as the guy who replaced joe don baker in the walking tall franchise oh Oh, and wow. then uh, and then you get uh, the next one in 88, uh, which is called The Fatal Mission. Telly Savalas 
returns. Ernest Borgnine is also back. Uh, the plot uh, concerns Major Wright and his convict commando squad attempting to stop 12 top Nazis who are trying to organize a Fourth Reich. So there's a mirror Dirty Dozen. I best guess we could call them a dirtier dozen. The Bizarro um, Dirty Dozen. I'm yeah. looking at the IMDb uh, listing of the cast here. Jeff Conaway. There's some big names Jeff in Jeff Conaway, one. who was on yeah. Taxi and never did anything after that. Yeah. Eric Estrada. He was in Greece as well. Uh, and he was on one of the Stargate spinoffs, I believe. Okay. Eric Estrada. Yeah. Well, since Larry Wilcox had gotten to be in right. it, the other guy from Chips finally gets to be in the third sequel. Ernie Hudson, who was just never able to cash in from his time as the fourth Ghostbuster. So he he's in not. this. Uh, a fighter named Ray Boom Boom Mancini. And a football player named John Matusak. And then right down towards the bottom of that page, Heather Thomas. You get your first female Dirty Dozen really? member. That is correct. <laughs> who I think was a, was famous at the time for co-starring with William Shatner in The Fall Guy. No, The Fall Guy was uh, 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 Lee Majors. Oh. The Fall Guy was Lee Majors. Uh, William Shatner was... Uh, T.J. Hooker. Uh, was... T.J. Hooker. There we go. Yeah. Thank you. But but Heather Thomas, I think, was in the fall guy. She was. She was. Yeah, you are correct. Yeah. So um, and and then uh, so but that wasn't enough in 1988. You got a TV show in the and so for some reason, they didn't get Telly Savalas to do the the TV show. I have no idea why he was alive until 1994. He was working, I think, until 93. So he he was up for it. But uh, I mean, like he he was working, not he was up for it. And they passed on him. But um. Uh, but from best I can tell, nobody from either of these other TV movies popped up in this. And the TV show uh, aired 11 episodes on Fox. It was not a uh, uh, an NBC show. And it starred Ben Murphy and a young John Slattery. Interesting. Uh, who people might know is, uh, will probably most likely know is Roger from Mad Men. And uh, a a young Ian McShane, McShane pops mm. up on an episode. So now I never saw that original series, but if that were like a Netflix or Amazon Prime video series, now it would be ten or twelve episodes, but it would all tell one right. story. And that's not what this show. All of these episodes, I don't think they've ever been released uh, legally, but. All of the entire series seems to be on YouTube bootlegged. If anybody cares enough to go watch no, it, thanks. it actually, <laughs> it it actually got a good like I when I was researching this, I came across a review from the L.A. Times, mm -hmm. and they actually gave it a good review. They were like, for what this is, this is really well done. I think each week it was a different mission, which is dumb for a show yeah. like this. I mean, I was thinking the same thing Paul said, which is that it should one season should be a whole mission, yeah. but um. But uh, but it actually got a, a pretty solid review in in uh, in the L.A. Times. So, I for well, whatever it's worth, if but that's uh, what you're into, check it out. Did either of you say? I think I heard one of you say in a, in the first episode that we did about the original Dirty Dozen that they're working on a remake now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, David Ayers, the guy who uh, was behind Suicide Squad, uh, is a huge fan, and he is attached to a remake. Of the Dirty Dozen. See, now to me, a huge fan of the Dirty Dozen would say, no, you don't need to make a remake. Show the original. Well, he's already done it, too. I mean, Suicide yeah. Squad is such a spiritual remake of the Dirty Dozen. It's yeah. interesting that they went and 
instead of being like, okay, he kind of did that, but did it in an interesting Marvel-esque way of like a genre film that fits with this story. Right. They're like, oh yeah, he did it. Okay, now let's really do it. Like he's, it's, it's, yeah, it's it's odd. It well, I, so many things in Hollywood get bandied about and never happen. Like That's the, true. like we talked about last week, the Ellen DeGeneres reboot of Oh God, like that never came to fruition. So right, I you know, so. but. Uh, um, just real quick, returning to the original movie, I just found this interesting. The, some of the people behind uh, the next mission, the original movie that we're talking about, not the. Oh, okay, gotcha. So it was directed by Andrew V. McLeggan, who, interestingly enough, directed another made-for-TV sequel to a World War II movie in 1989. He would make Return from the River Kwai. <laughs> oh, and really? Which is I. I just thought it was weird. But this is a real director, though. Like, he made five John Wayne movies. I mean, huh. not great ones, but he but they were still trusting him with John Wayne movies. Okay. So that says something. But he also directed, uh, uh, for our nerds, nerd friends, they'll, they'll enjoy this. He is responsible for what would be, in my opinion, one of the greatest episodes of Mystery Science Theater 3000. He directed the Joe Don Baker classic, Mitchell. Oh. Which, if you haven't seen Mitchell... Cannot recommend that episode <laughs> of of MST3K highly. That's enough. great. Oh, that, so he did a terrible movie that made for a great episode of. Yeah. <laughs> and then That's the great. writer of the of the next mission, which he shouldn't get the credit. They should have just gave it to the guy who wrote the first movie. But yeah. uh, uh, was Michael Caine, not that okay. one, and uh, C A N E. He wrote uh, the Tom Cruise movie, All the Right Moves. Okay. I've never and seen that he one. he also he also wrote the just awful legend of the Lone Ranger when they tried to reboot the Lone Ranger in like 79 or 1980. And then uh, mm. he must have been friends with Sherwood Schwartz because he directed an episode of Gilligan's Island, the one with the with where they find the homing pigeon. Hmm. And he also directed an episode of the Brady Bunch, uh, the one where they get the pool table in their garage. <laughs> nice. So I just. Found those things interesting and thought I would pass them along. So they oh, more interesting than the movie. Certainly. Yeah, that's for yeah. sure. So, uh, uh, so anyway, I guess, uh, I guess that's all of that then, right? So that's it. Well, uh, I guess let's go around the table and everyone can say where to find them. This is Paul. You can find me on my website, harrisonline.com. And this is Kevin. Follow me on Twitter at Kevin R. Brackett. And this is Tom. You can follow me on Twitter at Roger Kubert or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Tom O'Keefe. Find the show online at uh, facebook.com slash real spoilers. While you're there, like the page, join the group, and of course, our Patreon, patreon.com slash real spoilers. So uh, that's it for this one. Next week, it looks like we will return to doing some new releases. We're going to tackle the new uh, Andy Samberg movie, Palm Springs, and the Charlize Theron movie, the old old guard, the old guard. I don't know if it's got a the or not. The old the guard. Old, old guard. Okay, both and uh, Palm Springs is on Hulu, and uh, Old Guard is on Netflix. So if you want to play along at home, so uh, so anyway, uh, that's it for this one. Thanks for tuning in, and until next time, Flake crushes Enchantress's heart. Now that we're alone, Coop, there's something I want to tell you. Remember when you had the crabs, and the only thing that made you feel better was this lotion. Well, I found another use for it. It feels so good. It makes me want to sing. Just like that night we spent in the tattoo parlor in Chicago. Come on, baby. I'm too sexy for my shirt. Too sexy for my shirt. So sexy it hurts. 
And I'm too sexy for my car. Too sexy for my car. Too sexy by far. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.